would hunt a little bit different than I would say November or even end of November. But either way, like generally it's it's pretty much a glassing game at that point. So I try to kind of figure out what they're looking for. Most of the food source is the, is the key food and cover too. Earlier on the trailing edge of the rut, you know, they're, they're looking more for security, rest, and everything in like a small condensed area. Um, later in the season, it's a little bit different depending on the areas. You might have migration area, you know, you might have winter range, you might be in a unit that has neither of those and you're just looking in the wrong place. Once the rut's over, what'll happen is the bulls will break off from the cows and they, they're essentially seeking solitude. They go and this time of year, you'll generally find bulls by themselves or in a small group, two, three at the most. And what they do is they, they branch off from the cows, they go into the deep, thick timber where it's just the odds of them getting pressured are really low. So they'll go into really thick cover where there is a food source nearby, but they generally don't travel long distances. So they won't be bedding way over here and then walking a mile down to this field and then going back up. Like the real big bulls, generally they go off, they pick a small pocket and just stay there until they've recuperated. Like especially elk as a herd animal, they like to position themselves in those places like in steeper type country where, you know, as far as like, I'm talking like Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Northern New Mexico, places like that. Those are kind of the things I look for in those areas. You know, if I'm like, so, like more central Nevada or even possibly Arizona, I'd, I'd probably look for a little bit different, uh, more because they tend to like more of those bench, like a bench within like that hillside. Hey guys, welcome to throwback thursdays i've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12 14 years or whatever how long it's been i've forgotten now uh that i've been doing this and um we re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to uh to check out uh, a lot of good information there so forgive me some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast-acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. HAL supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at howlforwildlife.org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Uh, today, we uh, have with us on... with. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say the phone. It's not really the phone anymore. We stopped using the phone system. <laughs> We're going to to a video app. But we have uh, one of the most recognizable faces and names in the hunting industry and uh, revered by many as the badass. And that's uh, Remy Warren. How are you doing today, Remy? Yeah, pretty good. How's it going? Good, Getting really man. good. Real good. So you've been busy, man. Um, I always envy you guys that get to uh, do a lot of hunting during the springtime. I I don't really do much of anything besides uh, going to call predators in spring and summer. And you've been all oh, over yeah. the place. It's been a really busy spring for me. Uh, 
been over to Hawaii a couple times, hunting over there, and then obviously uh, New Zealand. And um, I made a trip over to Australia this year, and that that was awesome. That was uh, a lot of fun. Just trying to figure some stuff out over there, and uh, yeah. there's a lot of really good deer hunting with good access to it. Um, and then there's uh, and then I, I did some buffalo hunting as well, um, and that was just that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I followed along a little bit on your Instagram. I saw a lot of the pictures you were posting up about that. And I was like uh, eating my own shorts because I was so envious, man. I, I really want to go out and do some of that. Um, but, you know, yeah. unfortunately, my pact with my wife is uh, fall and winter. I hunt hard and I'm gone a lot. And then summer and spring, I'm here. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we put some of those uh, pictures of some of the, like some more of the Australia stuff up pretty soon. Because- Actually, I've been out of service for like about two months. So I try to just, you know, post pictures. As soon as I get service, there'll be a bunch of pictures and then there'll be nothing right. to do or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I did some spring bear guiding in Montana as well. And uh, we had a good, a decent season up there. It was a little, um, just kind of a weird year this year. I thought it would be a lot better than it was, but mm-hmm. we ended up doing right, you know. But yeah, it was good. Cool. I actually might get to do a little bear hunting this weekend. I might go up this, uh, still a couple of, the uh, over the counter units open here that, uh, I might go try to poke. We, I think that it's open till, uh, July 31st or something like that. And they haven't met their quota yet. I don't know how successful of a hunt it's going to be, but, uh, I might get out for two, three days with a buddy of mine. He's actually leaving today to go up, but I'm, I'll probably head up, head up on Friday or something. Um, so. Yeah, no, I'm excited about that. Um, I last time I had you on was back in October, I think, last year, um, and we talked a lot about mule deer. We touched a little bit on on elk hunting, but I keep getting a lot of questions about elk hunting, and I know you got it elk for a long time and had a lot of success in different different terrain and different seasons, not just a rut. Uh, a lot of the guys that I know that are super successful elk hunters just hunt the rut. And of course, not everybody just hunts the rut. You get whatever tag you get and you go when you got to go. So um, I think we're going to touch a little bit on that, about that, if uh, if that's cool with you. Yeah. I'm going to start off with the late season. Um, so in those times of year, what, what do you, I mean, what's your starting point? What do you like start to think about where you're going to go looking for elk you know, in somebody's maybe like late rifle or even late archery hunts where, you know, calling tactics don't necessarily apply, you know, ruts pretty much over at this point. They might even be batched up. What, where do you, where do you start? Yeah, it just depends on, uh, first off, like what the, the late season is, you know, because I mean, you've got every state, you've got October seasons, which, um, you know, those, I would hunt a little bit different than I would say November or even end of November, but either way, like generally it's, it's pretty much a glassing game at that point. Um, so I try to kind of figure out what they're looking for. Most of the season hunts, the food source is the, is the key food and cover too. earlier on the trailing edge of the rut, you know, they're, they're looking more for security rest and everything in like a small condensed area. Mm-hmm. Um, later in the season, it's a little bit different depending on the areas. You might have migration area, you know, you might have winter range, you might be in a unit that has neither of those and you're just looking in the wrong place. So 
like what I like to do, the first step is to kind of pinpoint when am I hunting and what type of unit it is. Is it, uh, is it an area where elk migrate into? So doing a little research on the herd itself, like, is this, is it late November and is this an area where elk will migrate into? Or is it an area that elk are migrating out of? Either way, you know, you might have to play it a little bit differently. So anyways, in the, uh, in like that, we'll call it like early November. Um, some areas that I hunt are areas that elk are migrating out of. So what I'll do is I'll find, there's still going to be elk that hold tight until they have to leave. And you're still looking for that food and cover. And I try generally when I first get into an area, preview it, like go to as many places as I can and find the best vantage points, the best glassing spots. Mm-hmm. And then I like to cover a lot of the area with my glass. Just pick a spot, sit down, binos, spotting scope, binos on a tripod, whatever, like really covering the area with my eyes, trying to figure out where the elk are hanging out. And then, you know, if I know it's a, a migration area, well, I'm going to kind of look at, okay, where might these elk be coming from and where might mm-hmm. they be going to? Because that time of year, it's, it's kind of a different herd dynamic. They're, they're bachelored up again. They're grouped up again. And they're, they're still concentrated on, on food sources. So big open meadows, big burns, anything, those south-facing exposures that are going to be windblown uh, or even like the tops of ridges that might be above a lot of snow, but the wind will blow them clear and they can get food. Uh, those are places that I'm going to be looking for real late season. And, uh, you know, just follow the food and you generally will find the elk because, uh, you know, they're recuperating, they're building up their strength for winter. And uh, the food source seems to be like the most consistent place where you're going to find elk. Now, there might be a lot of food sources. So you just got to use your, you know, a lot of times it'll try to last and uh, get away from the mountain a little bit and try to pick it apart. Right. So, so basically what I'm hearing is you identify what the needs are of the elk at that time and basically look for those needs or the majority of those needs in areas and those typically where the elk will be. Yeah, exactly. In a a nutshell. So let's kind of break that down real quick. Just post rut, you started saying, you know, they're telling the rut where it's trickling off, where they might still be with some cows and whatnot. You said they're kind of looking for security. They've been hunted a little bit, uh, you know, at this point and they're kind of looking for everything. And then the next phase is, is, what I would call no running activity at all. Yeah. Ruts over completely post rut. What what are the elk looking for then? Yeah, so get- okay, so like the once the rut's over, what'll happen is the bulls will break off from the cows and they, they're essentially seeking solitude. They go and this time of year you'll generally find bulls by themselves or in a small group, two, three at the most. And what they do is they they branch off from the cows. They go into the deep, thick timber where it's just the odds of them getting pressured are really low. So they'll go into really thick cover where there is a food source nearby, but they generally don't travel long distances. So they won't be bedding way over here and then walking a mile down to this field and then going back up. Like the real big bulls, generally they go off, they pick a small pocket and just stay there until they've recuperated. Um, right. 
So they're, they're trying to conserve general, energy at that point. So conserve energy, and and generally it's like a higher elevation spot. There's spots that are a ways from a road, hard to glass, actually really hard to hunt, and that's why they go to those places. Um, that's like immediately after the rut, and it'll be somewhere where they can get food within that area of cover. Um, mm-hmm. So I've seen like a meadow that's maybe a hundred yards wide or something like that in a patch of just pure timber and that elk will will essentially hang out in those little benches there and then go to that one patch and feed and kind of browse in the timber and then you know go back and not really move a whole lot what you can do is like look on topo maps because generally what they'll do is they'll sit on these uh they'll sit on a ridge ridge line so as the uh, mountain like makes a main ridge they get these finger ridges coming off and you can't necessarily always see them because you'll have timber and cover, um, but on the topo, you'll be able to see it. And they like to sit on those ridge lines because they get wind from multiple directions and they have multiple escape routes. Um, and you'll see, like when you go in there, what I'll do is I'll, I'll look on the map, I'll find those ridge lines, and I'll try to find a spot that has some kind of opening because as elk are grazers, they like that grass and they get a lot, they can build up their strength a lot faster. They'll browse in the little bit of grass that's in the timber, but if it's real thick timber, um, they need a few openings, and they'll be hitting that that one area a little bit more. So it could be like up by timberline, right where the timberline is. They'll pop out above the timberline and feed, or like some little meadows or, or openings mm-hmm. on the ridges. They'll look for stuff like that, or even like right at the top of the ridge, and then they'll be bedded down below in the timber. So I find those areas and then, you know, a lot of it will just be like looking for sign in the timber, like walking down the ridge, still hunting, you know, moving really slow. And just, I even use my binos. Even if you can only see 20 yards, use your binos because you'll pick up a, a tip of an antler or a leg or something that's just out of place. Right. And then look for where I find, you know, elk sign clustered, poop, you know, just together, yep. obviously, bull. And you'll see it in like, you'll see bedding in multiple areas and go, okay. And then just a lot of times it might even just go post up on that, that open meadow in the mornings and the evenings. I had a lot of success doing that when I was guiding in New Mexico, it was just bad time. And I just find those little tiny meadows, those little pockets, because it was just thick timber, nearly impossible to hunt. Um, And we'd still hunt in the middle of the day and then, you know, sit those spots morning and evening and have a lot of success. Um, you see th- that time of year, you see the fewest amount of elk. It's the hardest time to hunt elk, especially if you're looking for big bulls. Now there will always be those, um, like groups of cows and small bulls that are still hanging where they were, like I call them resident elk that were there during the rut. So if you're just looking to kill an elk and you have a later tag, go scout during the rut and where those groups of cows and bulls are, you can go back there and you, you'll probably pick up a few bulls on those cows. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the year. Uh, but if you're looking for those real big bulls, they'll be off on their own in those little pockets. And uh, and that can be some of the toughest hunting. But, you know, there's not a lot of pressure. And, and when you do find a bull living, you'll generally kill him because he's not going too far. Uh, right. Especially if you're patient, it might take you four or five days. But once you figure out where he's at, um, you can be pretty successful. Or you'll even find those spots. And then year after year, bulls will keep you in those little spots because they're Right. Yeah, it's, it's good areas. Yeah, I, I found that um, 
So my my late season experience is only here in Arizona. I've never gone out of state for uh, late rifle or late anything uh, elk. I've had the late archery season here a few times. And the late archery season here, even though it's in November and late November, the bulls are still with the cows. It's like literally when that season ends and the and the rifle season starts, that's when I started noticing that where the bulls would break off, you know, like into December, basically the bulls would break off. They'd be on in basher groups or be solitary, you know, off by themselves up high. Like you said, you know, I think Arizona and you mentioned New Mexico and I would imagine New Mexico in most places about the same as Arizona that because it's their, our winters are so mild, they're probably not moving very much as far as from one range to another. Um, I know the only place that I've ever seen it here is on San Francisco peaks is, you know, that it goes up to 13,000 or whatever, 12,000. So those bulls don't, you know, they're not up really, really high in the snow. They'll, you know, they'll stay below snow line or, or, you know, down low, but I've never, you don't see much migration here. So what I, what I've uh, always told people was, uh, the one good thing about finding out, we found out early here when we're going elk hunting. They changed that up several years back where the draw results come out, you know, right in the beginning of the year. You know, you find out whatever time is, was it in February or whatever. I'm like, go out and scout now because that's where those bulls are going to be. If you got that real late rifle hunt, they're still going to kind of be in those areas because we're still typically in the high country in the winter type, uh, you know, weather. Or you could go look for just, you know, sign and, and, and whatnot. Is that, is that applicable other places? Like, you know, if you know you're going to go late season elk hunting, is it good to go like right then and there in the spring or whatever to find, you know, find your spots like after the seasons are over? Yeah, it, it just depends on the areas. Cause I mean, there's one area that I hunt and the elk rut in a certain place in the area and then they kind of disband. They actually, what I've found is a lot of elk go back to where they were during the summer before the rut. So it's like a lot of times if you have trouble, if, you, if you're out scouting and you like hear elk everywhere and you're seeing elk everywhere and then you go back later in the rifle season and there's no elk there. Because like even if you don't have a tag during the rut, that's the best time to kind of be out and try mm-hmm. to find stuff. Um, but a lot of areas, they might not rut in the same places that they live. And so sometimes that summer range is where they go back to because that's most mostly like where the highest protein is and the best grass and the best feed. And if it's an area that's not going to get wintered out, then they're probably going to go back there because that's where your highest concentration, your highest populations can live there for the longest amount of time. But it just, I mean, and then there's just area variability where, you know, they're just, they just go to certain places in the area and, you know, it just depends. Like, I guess in the Southwest, when the temperature's mild and they don't migrate, then you just hunt them like resident elk. You just scout when you can scout. And there are certain elk in every unit that, unless they get snowed out or whatever, will be there just doing their thing 365 days a year. You know, and those are just, you know, those are just those resident elk. So once you find elk like that, you know, you're pretty set. But those elk now, if it's an area that gets hunted a lot, everybody knows where those elk are, and then they just get disbanded and shot, and and it's just you know. So I try to kind of avoid those elk if I can, because it's like pretty tempting sometimes. Oh yeah, I'll go after those elk, and then you get the you know you plan on it, you just watch them, and you've wasted your time watching elk that everyone else can watch that are gonna be there, but 
you know, yeah. then you got no other options once that opening day comes around because everybody and their brothers after them. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, once that, you know, right after opening day, sometimes it was easy to find out. Just, I mean, it, your hunt's over immediately. Yeah. You got to go to something else. So it's always nice to know where those elk are, but always nice to kind of have some backup plans and know, mm-hmm. all right, when there's pressure, this, that, and the other thing, where are these elk living? And especially in those hard times of year before late season, like before it gets, you know, that in that area that I'm talking about where it's after the rut and the bulls are recuperating, you know, know those pockets where that one bull lives and he's just going to live there until he's recuperated and then moves back with the groups later on. So, you know, finding those little tiny pockets like that, that's, that's pretty key to, to being successful, especially on good bulls areas that get hunted hard because they're they found the places that they're safe year after year after year after the rut and uh, once you find where those little places are you're pretty set yeah well you started uh mentioning that about them going back to where they were summering my actually my next question was going to be geared towards those pre-rut hunts those really early season archery hunts Matter of fact, I have one of those this year. I'm, I got drawn in Utah and I'm going to be hunting in August. And, uh, so I, I'd like to know what, what it is that you're looking for. What are some of the tactics you employ during that time of year, you know, to improve your success? That's also a really hard time, especially for bow hunting. Cause most of the time those are in areas where it's, you know, they're pretty good areas and you're looking for a really good bull. I mean, you can always, set up on water holes if it's a, a dry type area. Um, I mean, that can be pretty boring as well, though. But, uh, yeah, I mean, water hole, like if they aren't active at all, but they, they'll still be going to the water generally because it's like those August seasons that um, they'll be hitting the water pretty good. But that time of year, you know, I kind of focus on where are they watering and then where are they going in between that. And most of the time, just try to ambush them or, or stalk them when they bed. A lot, of the, a lot of the bigger bulls haven't even grouped up with the cows yet. So they're just, they're, they're like constantly cruising that time of year, which makes it fairly difficult to, to pin one down. Um, so I kind of go back to that, just gl- a lot of glassing, try to bed them up and then stalk in. But I'm not afraid to call like before sunup and try to get a bull going because they will still be, I mean, you know, it could be the easiest time to call in a big bull as well. I found like early in the season before the rut happens, you get those bigger bulls that they they hear like a lot of activity and then they get like really fired up and then right. you just call them. Once they've got their cows, it's really tough to do. So I've actually called in a lot of really good bulls just by being extremely aggressive in those times that people are like, don't be aggressive with your calls. And then they just... yeah screaming in but because it, it generally heats up so fast i mean i'll start i'll start calling like especially early season but i do it throughout the rut but like i'll start calling an hour before light just to try to locate them you know right. every off like bugle bugle i mean when i call i generally just bugle and then uh and then once i get one to respond like i keep them just interested enough and then that that little bit right before shooting time, like mm-hmm. I, I pretty much rush in and get within that 100, 200 yards of where he's calling from. And then, but, but you know, try to stay quiet because I don't want him to come in too early. 
and then I start as soon as it's like time to shoot, start calling again. And generally, I'll have them in within the first fifteen minutes of light. Yeah, I actually got a funny story about that in Colorado. So I I do that a lot myself. Matter of fact, I'll even go out two two three hours and just run roads and let out bugles and you know see if I can find at least find a direction and then I'll close the distance in the dark and kind of hang out you know a couple hundred yards away from them but uh in Colorado a couple years ago I think it was 2014 or 2013 14 you know I they wouldn't as soon as it got light they would shut up they wouldn't bugle but in the dark they were bugling like crazy um and I'm assuming that's just because of hunting pressure and they knew that once the light came up they humans were bugling at them. But, um, so yeah, I would, I started going out earlier and earlier and I would, you know, bugle, find a bugle, close the distance. And we called in this good bull. Uh, I needed literally like five more minutes of light. Actually I could shoot him. I could hit him with a, with the bow. I could, my, uh, pins were glowing enough that I can see him. I, and it was only 18 yards. I mean, hell, I could have shot down the shaft of the arrow and killed him. I would have been, but the camera couldn't see him yet. So I let him go thinking that, you know, in about seven, eight minutes, I'd be able to just call him back or whatever. But yeah, he never, he never came back in. But yeah, that was one of those things where we, we just, we cut the distance in the dark. I was just using my little red hand headlamp and, you know, trucking through the woods to kind of get close to him. I was hoping to stay like, you know, a couple hundred yards away from him. But, uh, I think maybe he might've heard us coming through and at what that added to the, to him yeah. thinking it was cows or, you know, another bull or whatever. And, and that made him come in faster than, than I anticipated. So, but yeah, no, that's definitely a good, good tactic. I've heard other people tell me too, um, you know, don't be afraid to call in the early season. And, um, where it became a reality for me was I went with my cousin, uh, my cousin Anthony actually, uh, drew a, uh, Arizona tag six B and we went in early August, like, I mean, probably still right right after or just before they shed their velvet. And um, we we got out and I, just for fun, I let out a bugle just for, you know, whatever we were scouting and this bull answers back and we're like, oh, crazy. So went in, went in. He got fired up and he literally rubbed his velvet off in front of us was beating the crap out of a tree and just bugling and going nuts and this was like you know very beginning part of august so i was like i'm like ah you know there's there's some truth because they're they're anticipating you know it's just like just like us humans man we're getting ready to go to the bar or whatever and pick up some chicks you know you get your boys get amped up and everybody's you know getting rowdy or whatever when you're a teenager or, or in your 20s or whatever and you know same thing for them they're anticipating or, you know, getting ready for a football game or whatever it is, you know, they're, they're excited. That's, uh, that's their excitement for the year right there. The rest of the year is spent surviving, <laughs> you know, that's their Super Bowl every year right there. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, I call all, all season when I'm, whenever I'm elk hunting, I mean, I'm calling and even early, earlier, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But I mean, think about those times you go out, like, fishing in the high country in the middle of summer and you'll you hear bugles almost every right. morning full i mean i've got videos of bulls in full velvet in july you know bugling so they, i mean they um they definitely respond to it and i just wouldn't be i wouldn't shy away from it for sure um, yeah. it'd be one of my main tactics even 
even early. Um, but you know, you can also, um, I mean, there's a lot, there's, it just depends on the year too, you know, but it's always worth a shot. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to bring the bugle and bring some calls with me on that trip. Uh, I mean, I plan on doing hunting them like deer mostly. I, I like to hunt them that way anyway, just because, you know, it's funny when I'm at home and stuff like that, I have no problem making calls and making the right sounds and whatever. But like when I'm out in the field, like I feel like sometimes I fumble on myself and I don't know that it's scaring elk or, you know, deterring elk from coming in. But in my head, it's kind of like a, like a, a deterrent for me to call very much. I try not to call that much at all, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if I could slip in them on them, like, and treat them like a mule deer I'll, or whatever, a whitetail, I'll, I'll do that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't call myself a, a an expert elk caller. Hell, in the last last several years, I've been using my Fox Pro a lot, actually, in Arizona because it's legal to use it here and it's, it works awesome. And you don't need uh, to have somebody calling for you. You can put it behind you or whatever off to the side. Yeah. So it works out real good. But, you know, going uh, to other states, obviously, that's not a – not something you can use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part though, I think a lot of people like they'll call and they think like, Oh, the elk are, I scared him away, but it may not be that the elk thinks you're a human. It just thinks you're an elk because when two elk are caught, like I think we have in our minds, they're like when an elk calls and an elk always calls back and then they meet up. Like that's generally not the case, whether you're there or not. When elk are bugling toward each other, it's like, Half the time they think, ah, I'll just get out of here or I'll just round up my cows. And right. a lot of times what I do if they're going, I just keep following and following and following them. Sometimes I'll follow them for six miles and then all of a sudden they turn around and come right in, you know, and just be persistent, like dog them enough to where they are like, okay, now I have no more options, but to just go back and fight right. or go back and that happens a lot. Yeah, we. Uh, I experienced that actually on my uh, 2014. I had a drew a bull tag here, and we were just chasing this bull. Like every day, I felt like we were behind them always, and we just kept following the circle, following the circle. They kept doing this big circle, and we every morning we try to get there earlier and get in front of them. And every morning they would be just ahead of us, and it was like, and finally we're. Just, I'm just like, listen, let's just keep going at him, going at him, going at him. And just like you said, eventually he just said, screw it, this guy's not giving up, and he turned around and he came back at me. Um, I didn't end up getting a shot because uh, of uh, trees in the way and stuff, but uh, it, it definitely it definitely worked. I I think during the rut, rather elk are very it's productive to be very aggressive. Um, yeah. I, I never used to be aggressive with, I, I'm even in, in any of my hunting, but I've gotten a lot more aggressive in the last like five, six years. I'm kind of a just go, 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 go. Um, and I, I found like that's kind of worked out better for me. Some guys are really good about being patient and even with their stalks and stuff. Like I don't, I'm, I'm an aggressive stalker. I'm not a very sneaky guy, but, um, I found that just, you know, sometimes barreling in <laughs> works too, you know, but yeah. Anyway. I mean, you waste so much time that you allow the wind and everything to just mess you up. You're better off just going and getting where you need to be and, and making it happen. But yeah. yeah, for sure. So the question that I get all the time is, 
So guys have a hard time looking at like Google Earth or aerial maps and stuff like that and actually deciphering because they always hear us talking about, oh, you know, find this and find that and find this. And um, I, I, sh I should have prepped you for this in the beginning. We could have actually shared uh, a screen of Google Earth and been able to look at it. I mean, I might be able to pull it up here myself and do it, but um, – Maps and I'll just point the spots that I think look good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's let's try that real quick. Let me pull up Google Earth here. Um, so, but while I'm pulling this up, give us give me a list of like your top five, top six things that you look for. You know, in, in terrain. For uh, yeah, I mean, I like to read topo maps. Like that's just it's just easier for me. Um, I like to like look at the contour first, and then I just like. Depending on the area, once I'm once I've found animals in a certain place, I kind of know what they like. But I mean, elk. I, I like to look for a main ridge that has finger ridges coming off, and just depends on which way the wind generally goes in in that area, you know. But they they like to kind of bed on those finger ridges, and I look for like what I call a bowl, like a a bowl shape, because it's got more gradual country and is generally like it's south facing. It probably has on some of those sides at least has meadows and feed and everything like that. So I try to look for something that has, has food, water, shelter kind of all right in that area, but I call them pocket. It literally looks like a pocket, especially for deer elk. I look for those same pockets. Um, but I also, for elk, I look for like South facing, like big South facing hills that have multiple ridges coming down. Um, those generally tend to hold a lot of animals. Like where the main ridge runs east-west, so you've got a big south face on it. But then there's ridges coming off that that cold um, animals as well. It depends where you're at, too. I mean, that's good for, like, Idaho. Oops. What are you, some of these things you're looking at a map? What do, what do you, you know, when you're looking at a map, what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for basins, pockets, um, you know, the topo lines that make that kind of curved shape. Um, it looks like a little basin or pocket. Um, I generally find a lot of elk in those areas. Um, and then also those, those areas where you'll see, you know, they've got a Southern exposure, they've got the grass and the open, they've got cover and probably some water nearby with a stream or water holes or whatever. You know, I look for that. I also look for places like if you're using, I don't really Google earth a lot, but, um, I have on, on a few occasions kind of gone to prominent points and seeing, okay, can I actually glass from this point? Will I see anything? You know, but most of the time I just pull up like a paper topo map, look for the type of contours I'm looking for, and then, uh, and then go there in the, in the unit. Although, you know, yeah, it just depends on where I'm going and how much time I've got. Every once in a while, so I'll fly around a little bit on Google earth, but try not to use it too much. I just like to look at the topo map and say like, all right, this is a good spot. And then once I get in the area, I kind of preview it and say, okay, I know, I know what, what the ground is and generally, you know, based on the topo lines, you can kind of read, okay, what it's going to look like, you know, based on how steep it is, how much it's oriented, you know, whether there's, yeah, you can do, you can do that because you've had experience. Yeah. So but, I, I, mean, I think that's where Google Earth comes in though. Like, you know, you can look, I think it's good to look at a topo map, try to find some of those things you're talking about, like some of those bowls or uh, pockets and then taking that and going to Google Earth and looking to see what the vegetation's like right there. And then yeah. 
that that step will kind of start going away because you'll be able to start recognizing it, like you said, just from a topo. What I'll do a lot is actually just use the Google Maps because you can switch back and forth simultaneously between topo and aerial views. Uh Uh, That works, and you can do it on you can do it on the Onyx maps as well. We just couldn't get it going on, but uh, yeah, that that kind of where I can just switch back and forth, you know simultaneously so i can be looking okay there's a contour and then switch back to the aerial view and kind of see okay and then i'll cruise around that aerial view based on what i find on the topo lines but first off i look for those basins um and then i look for those ridges that run with the you know finger ridges coming off so like a main ridge i call mm-hmm. it like a main ridge that runs one direction with finger ridges coming off those other ridges sometimes yeah. it'll be like a main ridge another main ridge that comes down and then ridges on each side. Um, right. But the elk, like, like especially elk as a herd animal, they like to position themselves in those places, like in steeper tech country where, you know, as far as like, I'm talking like Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Northern New Mexico, places like that. Those are kind of the things that I look for in those areas. You know, if I'm like, so, like more central Nevada or even possibly Arizona, I'd, I'd probably look for, a little bit different, um, more because they tend to like more of those bench, like a bench within like that hillside, mm-hmm. and then you know, multiple benches. But kind of the same deal in those canyons. I look for the canyons that you know might have that good vegetation, good feed, and good cover, not too rocky. They can hold a lot of animals. Uh, that's generally what I'm looking for when I'm looking at the maps or looking at a new area. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, cool, man. I mean, I, I think that's all I got for you as far as there, uh, as far as questions. I think we covered a lot and giving some guys some good information on how, how they can start applying that to their hunting skill set. I'm sure you got a lot of awesome hunts coming up this year, but uh, any of them in particular are super excited about? Uh, I drew a uh, caribou tag, like a pretty decent caribou tag in Alaska this year, so I'm excited about that. It'll be fun to hunt that unit. I've been in the area, but never drawn a tag. So, um, it'll be cool to have the tag this time, not just be the observer. Uh, and, uh, no, I, I actually, um, outside of that, I pretty much pulled up goose eggs everywhere. I've got as many as 18 in a lot of States. (laughs) Jeez. And I mean, I don't even put, I put in for like art, all archery hunts and, um, nothing real crazy, but uh, no, I, I um, yeah, the points game. I've just got a lot. I'm collecting bonus points everywhere. It sounds seems like you know for years. One day I'll draw too many tags. Well, <laughs> that's happened. I've got a lot of good uh, general hunts. You know, I mean, I'll be hunting Montana and in the general area and um, mule deer there, elk there, and then um, you know. Alaska. I, I drew three tags in Alaska, actually, or I've got three hunts planned up there. So I'll, I've got plenty of hunting to do. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So I've got, got a pretty full season. Yeah. I drew uh, two uh, elk hunts. I drew Wyoming and, and Utah. Um, that's another reason why I decided to go in the early season in Utah in, in August because it's a unit that I can glass. And I've hunted deer in there before and seen elk at around that same time. So 
and the, the the unit that I drew in the Bighorns in Wyoming, it's not very glassable at all. And you know, if they're not bugling, it's going to be a tough, tough hunt. So I, I schedule that one for the peak of you know, or the peak of the rut, whatever. We never really know when that's going to be, but. Um, <laughs> You know, typically when the rut kicks in and, I, and you know, t- towards the later end of September, then I decided to do the Utah hunt in, in August because of uh, because of that. But yeah. other than that, I mean, I drew I also drew a Utah uh, deer tag, same unit. So I'm going to hunt them oh. simultaneously. Oh, that'll be um, fun. Cool. Yeah. And, and Wyoming, the same thing. I'm pretty sure. Well, the results haven't come out yet, but I almost guarantee I'll I'll draw that general uh that general deer tear tag in that same area so other than that it's a lot of uh over-the-counter stuff this year very like, cool yeah I've had, nothing a, wrong. I've had a good run the last three years i kind of hit my i was you know high in points in a lot of places and picked up a lot of tags um and actually wyoming and utah were my last two where i had like you know a decent amount of points wyoming wasn't that many I only had seven but i think wyoming i was at 10 or or 11 or something like that. I was just below the point creep. I was actually pretty lucky to draw it. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. Good deal. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Sorry about all the uh, technical difficulties. I wish we could have uh, been able to show these guys stuff on the maps. But it's always fun to have you on. You're a wealth of knowledge and uh, easy to talk to and well-spoken. So, um, Thanks. Appreciate it. Next time, cool. next time we'll just pull the maps up. We'll have some maps ready or something. We can go over them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, hopefully, I'll have some good stories about killing caribou for us. So, so all right, man. Well, thanks a lot. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save twenty percent. All one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.